as you're working, you're caring for your own well-being. There's a real consciousness while you're working. And then of course, when you're not working around, what do I need, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, what do I need so that I actually can perform well? Hi everyone, thanks for checking into the Grad Girl Wellness Podcast, a space designed to inspire and highlight the stories of women of color in graduate school who are prioritizing their overall health and wellness while pursuing higher education. My name is Angela and I'm your host. Let's get started. So good afternoon. I want to say thank you to both of you all for being here on the Grad Girl Wellness Podcast. I am here speaking with Allison B. Miller and Rowena Robles. Um, we are going to be talking today about sustainable productivity. So for those of you all, you all who are listening, um, I'm going to start by asking our guests to please introduce themselves, um, telling us a little bit about what they do, their discipline, and what field of work they are currently in. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I'm Allison Miller, and um, I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago, and I defended my dissertation. I remember exactly January 20th, 2020, so coming up on 22 years ago. And um, I live in Los Angeles, and I am also the founder and owner of the Dissertation Coach. And recently, I opened a new company called the Academic Writer Space. And so I've had my whole career since my um, PhD in actually helping graduate students earn their PhDs. So I've been doing that now for close to 22 years. Um, so I guess I am in the field of psychology in a sense, um, you know, and certainly in this, this academic coaching consulting world of, you know, being in this ongoing inquiry of how to really support graduate students. A lot of graduate students out there feel like academic orphans and having an outside person who can come in and create you know, a positive mentoring relationship and whether that's more of a process-oriented coaching approach or a more technical consulting approach, you know, uplifting people and helping them see they, they can learn, they can do this. And when people have quality support and mentoring, you know, they're, they're so much more capable. Um, able to really fulfill more of their potential. So that's what I've been dedicating my life's work to. Awesome. And Rowena? Hi, my name is Rowena Robles, and I got my doctorate from the University of California, Berkeley in ethnic studies with, um, it's an interdisciplinary degree. So my focus was sociology, sociology of race, as well as sociology of education. Um, I went a more traditional route than Allison, where I did seek tenure track positions and I did complete two postdocs and a teaching fellowship as well. And then about 11 years in academia, I switched. <laughs> I switched fields. I worked for a community-based nonprofit. I became a consultant. So I was an evaluation consultant for a few years and still am a little bit off and on if I get a project. And then I worked for the dissertation coach and with Allison for nearly eight years um, full-time. 
And I not only worked one-on-one -on -one with um, doctoral, doctoral student clients, but Allison and I also gave workshops. Um, Pre-COVID, it was a lot of flying and a lot of workshops in person. We've worked with entire departments of graduate students as well as faculty. Well, that's awesome. As someone who is approaching like year and a half of dissertating, uh, it's really helpful to speak with you all, not only about the process of writing the dissertation, but also thinking through my next steps in terms of postdocs or kind of going out into the nonprofit or consulting world. So this is a great time to be having this conversation. And specifically, we'll be talking about sustainable productivity and what that is and what it looks like and how we can incorporate that into our academic lives. So because this is the Grad Girl Wellness Podcast, and before we get into to the other uh, conversation, I wanted to ask you all what your relationship was to wellness when you were in graduate school. You, that is a really good question. I'm not sure I really had a particularly conscious relationship to wellness. Um, I, I will say this though, I knew that the way that I was working was not sustainable. I knew that, you know, being paralyzed with fear of not being smart enough and feeling like an imposter and procrastinating and the, all the things that were going on, you know, working at two o'clock till two o'clock in the morning where like, I realized I haven't eaten in 12 hours, like that, that just was not going to work. And so I did start to do some personal growth work when I was in graduate school. So on some level, I guess something broke through, but I didn't have the consciousness of like having a real a real wellness, mm -hmm. like commitment and practice. And, you know, it's also, I think I would say right now because of social media and because of exposure to things, there's a lot more conversation about it. Now there's kind of a whole self-care industrial complex that's kind of built up around it as well. Um, I, I think it is actually foundational. And so in, in our work, we really emphasize that the reason self-care is so fundamentally important is because in order to really be productive and effective and able to focus and concentrate and perform well, you have to have a regulated nervous system, mm -hmm. or at least have the attention on this regulating. And we all need to regulate all the time. If you decide to go into something high pressure, like get a PhD, yeah, that's gonna require a lot of regulation. Um, you know, I, I didn't know certain things I was doing were supporting my wellness when I was in graduate school, but I had two, two very strict ground rules for myself that I adhere to. <laughs> and one of them was I worked nine to five, right? That I didn't have a nine to five. I was a graduate student who did all of her work between the hours of nine to five on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? So that was one thing that I did. Another thing that I did for myself was I was a fitness instructor, <laughs> not on campus. So the, my point in doing that was I want to do something where I am moving and I, I want it to be away from campus. I want it to be a totally different environment. And um, I also want to be accountable. So I was like the instructor that made me accountable. So I did those two things. And I think now, like Allison said, there is a sort of self-care industrial complex. Um, 
I think that would have fit in that back then. But back then I was just like, I'm protecting my time. I want mm -hmm. weekends and I want to move my body, not near or on campus, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? So I needed that physical break away. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's really nice to be able to get away from me at salsa class. Those people don't know anything about my grad school yeah. program. They just want to dance. <laughs> that is all that matters. So given those reflections and your experiences in graduate school, how does that then translate into your work with the dissertation coach? You know, what is so funny, um, when Allison and I started working together, we have a lot of similar habits. Right. So I know, Allison, you kind of talked about some of your not so good habits, but you also had some good ones that we did similar things where we were pretty disciplined about our tasks. Um, we were accountable for many things. Maybe we weren't accountable to eating <laughs> properly the whole time, but we were accountable to getting certain tasks done. Um, we stuck with timelines. Right. So there were things that you and I did that were really similar. And I think something that was also similar was we we coached others before we even know what knew what coaching was. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the shifts that came for me and, and, you know, I don't I don't know that I actually thought of this as self-care at the time was the realization that I couldn't just expect myself to do the work. But a great act of kindness is to recognize I'm also the project manager of the work. I'm like, you know, the executive assistant who's like figuring out and planning and scheduling. So I started to dedicate a lot more time to working with more of a project management system. And then people in my program were saying to me, you know, hey, why aren't you so stressed out anymore? How did you get your dissertation proposal written in that amount of time? And it was like, oh, well, I'm using this project management system. And a friend of mine said to me when I showed it to her, she's like, this is a business. We're still friends to this day. I actually told her this and she couldn't even remember that. She said, this is a business. And that's when it dawned on me that, wow, I bet you a lot of students could really use um, support around developing an approach to working that works for them. Mm -hmm. no, that's definitely true. I think that for me, there is a lot of buildup to the dissertation, but not so much preparation outside of just how to do the research, right? But how to mentally prepare to approach dissertation writing, which is an entirely yeah. different mode of operation and of working that I never experienced before. Um, so I kind of want to move us in, then into a conversation about how to do this work, right? Um, and one of the ways to do that is through sustainable productivity. So could you all please explain to us what that is um, and what does it mean to be sustainably productive in graduate school? It probably means all kinds of things. We could describe it in a lot of ways. I'll try to be succinct here. I think of sustainable productivity is that it's a kind of a productivity that one really supports you to perform, produce results, get things done, like that you're satisfied with, yeah, I sat down and my eyes were over here. They weren't like, I wasn't looking at Instagram and then checking my email. Like, I really feel that like when you do a really good workout and you gave it your all, that feeling of like, I sat down and I did what I said I was going to do. That's deeply satisfying. So sustainable productivity involves that. And at the same time, it's also productivity that um, 
as you're working, you're caring for your own well-being. There's a real consciousness while you're working. And then of course, when you're not working around what do I need, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, what do I need so that I actually can perform well? And a lot of times we expect ourselves to perform well, really without the quality of sort of the nourishment, the training, you know, you wouldn't expect yourself to just go out tomorrow and run a marathon if you haven't been training, you know, and, and part of that training is rest, good food, stretching, maybe some ice, some heat, you know, massage. There's a lot of things that are required. It's not just about the actual being out there training for it. To be able to be a high performer, we have to make it sustainable where we are regularly calming and soothing our nervous systems and regulating and connecting with ourselves and remembering that we have a body, you know? So to me, sustainable productivity fundamentally is working in a way that truly works for you, works for your results, and it works for your well-being. Awesome. And I really like this idea of it's not something that we do outside of our work, but that it's like integral to how we work. I think a lot of times the conversation is, okay, do your work and then go get a massage or go watch Netflix. But in reality, we should be thinking and mindful about the working process as we are working. Um, they don't have to be like these mutually exclusive things. Um, so that, that's really helpful to think about. Um, so thinking specifically about the writing process, is there anything specific to dissertation or thesis writing uh, that makes sustainable productivity all the more important? Mm. Rowena, you want to start? I know you've got something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what we should acknowledge is that nobody's ever written a dissertation before, right? <laughs> Allison and I say that a thousand, thousands of times a year, right? <laughs> um, I probably say it less so now, but yeah, but yes, I we say that all the time. And it is so it is a, a very foreign experience, right? It, it's not something we understand completely. And for first generation students, for immigrant students, um, students who do not have parents that went to graduate school or even went to college in the United States, um, it, that, that it gets amplified, right? This, this feeling of, I don't know what's going on and I'm not quite sure what steps to take to move forward. And so I think what the first thing to do is to say, well, this is a long road and how am I going to get from point A to point B. Oh my God, Allison, I'm doing one of the workshops that we did. How are we going to get from point A to point B, right? I'm going to talk about bridges. And so um, this is Allison's metaphor that she came up with that we used at a workshop at one point, I think several workshops. And so in talking about this sort of long road, this journey, um, we can envision crossing bridges, right? The dissertation is often viewed as crossing one big bridge, right? We want to get from point A to point B, and that's it. And so then that doesn't really allow us to plan, to plan for all the little tasks that we need to do, not just the writing, but also keeping in touch with mentors and faculty advisors, um, as well as your own, you know, working, continuing to work with your peers. And those little tasks can be these smaller bridges. Right, so if we're talking about sustainable productivity, we're, we're really not just talking about one big bridge, that's a marathon. 
That's, that's not what we want to do. We want to be able to cross um, as many bridges as we can handle in a day. Sometimes it's one bridge, sometimes it's three, right? And what are those bridges? Am I crossing over from writing five pages of my literature review, right? If I write five pages, then I cross that mini bridge. I check that off my list. You know, what is another task? Do I need to write to all of my faculty mentors today, right? That's another mini bridge. Okay, let me cross that one. And that makes it feel a bit more sustainable, right? So as opposed to a marathon, you are doing a little bit of walking and a little bit of cardio every day, right? Not so much that you get exhausted and you get drained, but enough to keep you energized, interested, task-oriented, and um, you're taking these, these mini steps forward and you're crossing these smaller bridges. And one more thing I'll say about sustainable productivity is we often don't know what's on the other side of that bridge, right? Even the little bridges. Okay, so if I, if I email all, my, all three of my faculty advisors today, we don't know what they're going to say, but the task is emailing, right? So there's all of this uncertainty in graduate school and particularly the dissertation process because at that point you are more solitary, right? You're, you're not really working in groups. There's, there's really no more classes, you know, unless you have a regular meeting with your faculty, that, that's not a regular thing either. You know, so it is this sort of big unknown. And, and Allison is gonna talk about faith and trust, I think, but I, that's where I'm leading. That's where I'm going towards is thinking, well, if I do this task, we don't know the result and we need to be okay with that, right? If I write these five pages of my lit review, they could be cut. <laughs> I might edit them out, but I wrote the five pages today, right? Or they could be like the best five pages I wrote ever. We don't, we just don't know. So that's why um, sustainable productivity, particularly with the dissertation writing process is something important to cultivate. And Allison, do you have anything to add? There, there was a lot there, the whole bridge metaphor. I'm still kind of <laughs> there, but as I process that, Allison, do you have anything you want to add? Well, I want to talk about one particular component since Rowena said talking about faith and trust. And I would say dealing, you know, also dealing with doubt, because doubt is really because of the ongoing ambiguity of a dissertation where the truth is the almost the entire time you're working on a dissertation until the very end, you're in a state of uncertainty. That's a long time, sometimes years to live inside that uncertainty and to be working on a project that's undone most of the time you're working on it. That's, that's not easy. So what's something essential to develop? It's actually connected to faith and it's not faith in something outside of you. It's faith in I, will show up for myself. I will accompany myself through all the challenging and difficult and painful moments that are naturally going to arise on a doctoral journey. They do for everybody. And when I say that, what I mean is cultivating a quality of compassion and kindness and gentleness and tenderness and love towards the fact that you are a human being and you're gonna experience a lot of uncomfortable things in your body 
Those uncomfortable things are not a sign that you're not smart enough or that you're not good enough or that you don't have what it takes. There, it's actually energy. It's energy in the form of sensation moving through your body. And we can shift out of all the story that we make up about, oh, my heart's racing. Not that we even think that, but something in us notices where it's heart racing. We start getting vigilant and looking for danger. And then we start making up stories and living in a whole fantasy world. That meanwhile, what you could say to yourself instead is, oh, I've got some sensation, some energy movement in the body. It's not feeling good. Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here with you. It's like kind of like internal parenting, noticing that there's some vulnerable children that are having tantrums or upset or, or hungry or scrape their knee and they need some love and attention of like, yeah, there's some difficult sensation that's here. I'm here. Can I be with that? Can I feel it? Can I, that, that quality of, of um, being on your own team, you're on your own team. That's really essential to um that's really essential to sustainable productivity um even though we teach sustainable productivity in sort of a four-step process that theme of accompanying yourself being on your own team is a really critical part of our co-working community because that message is a message that needs to be reinforced to people over and over and over and over again so thank you for that. I really like this idea of the, the quality of, of being on your own team. I don't think that people talk about like the psychological experience of going through dissertation writing. It's more so just expecting that it's going to take a long time. And so um, on Grad Girl Wellness, on the podcast, we talk a lot about therapy. We talk about relationships with our advisors or whatnot, but there's not really the intersection of the two. Um, and, and trying to understand how we can mindfully approach dissertation uh, writing. So I want to thank you all for filling that, for one, addressing that that is a need, and then also doing the work to, to fill that gap. Um, so one thing that was mentioned was this, was this four-step process of developing an infrastructure for sustainable productivity. And I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through what that looks like. Sure, sure. So this came about from um, our co-working community, the Academic Writer Space, um, that we also call TAWS for short, if you hear me say that. Um, we started doing this meeting called Sunday Reset, and now we do Sunday and Monday Reset. So twice a week, we invite our community to step out of the doing into that more of that project management role and into a position where you actually increase the odds that you're going to create an infrastructure for the week that really nourishes your ability. And when I say nourish, I'm saying that word on purpose. It's like it, it's, it's a caring and it's, you're caring for yourself by following these four steps. This is a great, great act of kindness to take time to do this, even though often it feels like we don't have time, but yeah. I would argue you don't have time not to do this would be, okay, so here's the process. Number one, this is an idea that comes from a book called Getting Things Done, and I cannot recall the author's name at the moment, um, doing a mind sweep. So a mind sweep is an opportunity for you to let all the stuff rattling around in your brain, bring it out onto paper. Now, I encourage people to do it in, in a particular way, and you can do it in any way that serves. Um, one is I encourage people to type it up in a Google Doc. So that each week when it's time to do your, you do the, you do the mind sweep at least once a week, you print the old version. So you don't have to restart 
and then you can like delete things, add to it. And what you do is you just list out different domains of your life. You could have your dissertation. Inside the dissertation, you might have a few smaller areas, like maybe there's something around securing you know, data collection and all the things involved with data collection. There's a category for IRB approval. There's a category for your methods. Like you could break it down in whatever, whatever way you want, where there's a sense of like, what are the things that need to be done in this domain of my dissertation? What are the things that need to be done around teaching? Do I have course prep? When's grading coming up? Um, what am I wanting to be doing for my own well-being? Are there things that I want as ongoing practices, some kind of movement? Um, maybe you like listening to certain kinds of spiritual podcasts. I mean, just calling out and naming, not that you have to do it in a rigid way, behaviors I want to be engaging in around what I eat, how I sleep, how I move, how I connect with myself, how I connect with my family. You might have a category, you know, a lot of grad students have children these days, you know, that there's a whole family domain, um, finances, any domain of life where there's like, yeah, you want to just be tracking. Okay. So you, what you're doing is you're not coming up with a list of everything you're going to do this week. You're actually letting you're, it's like, you're getting a broom and sweeping out your mind. So that's not rattling around in there. Why this is important is because when we're working, we're, let's say you're working on a section in your lit review and all of a sudden the thought about your, your, you know, your Amex bill comes in your mind and you go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to get on my phone and I'm just going to pay my Amex bill right now. And next thing you know, you've been on Instagram for 20 minutes and you have no conscious awareness, right? My husband and I recently made an agreement for both of us that we're, and I don't have it on right now, but we've started wearing our watches because I've been using my phone to see what time it is. That is a wormhole. Yeah. You know, so anyway, so mind sweep is get everything out rattling on your mind. Now, when you first do a mind sweep, don't try to force yourself to think of everything. Don't put yourself in a, in like under duress to do it. Just write down what comes out naturally. So that when you go, oh, Amex bill, oh, you know what? I have a domain on I of on my mind sweep. Now, if the Amex bill is not on your mind sweep and you feel like you need to, that could be a Google Doc you always leave open quickly. You're only allowed in there to write down the Amex bill thing in your mind sweep, and then and then you're out, right? Okay, because you're going to review your mind sweep once a week, and and figure out, but. We tend to get rattled when we remember things extraneous to what we're doing. And then we want to like take care of it right now. And this even happens within the dissertation. We start thinking about something in our methods chapter. Okay, you know, I was going to go work on that. But now we lose the stream we were in where we were at. So mind sweep is incredibly important to get it out on paper. Once you've done your mind sweep, then you look at the next seven days. In reality, what is it that I want to get done? So we're looking to um, think through really your, your priority, you're prioritizing here. You're saying, what am I consciously choosing out of the mind sweep to move to the front burner? Everything else is still important, still things I'm going to need to do, but I can't do everything in the next seven days. So I'm thoughtfully, humanely pulling out what I think I can do. Um, Rowena and I have this joke about magical thinking because we're both magical thinkers. Most graduate students are magical thinkers, right? I'm going to write my lit review this weekend, magical thinking. I can write up my results chapter in a few days, magical thinking, right? It's magical thinking. Yes, you can write a paper that was due 
in a class the weekend before, but that paper is being graded in comparison to everyone else who did the same thing. Dissertation is, as I always say, a completely different animal. So why it's so important to prioritize is that you need to know during the week what you are doing and what you are not doing. And when we don't define the not doing list, when we, when we get into difficulties with our work, we'll often procrastinate by doing things that really aren't priorities and important because it feel, we feel less guilty that way. But it- Mind shopping. Yeah, it's like we just get our hands <laughs> in way too much stuff. Exactly. Okay. This is also helpful for an individual work session. If you sit down to work, I would write down on a piece of paper, what am I doing in the next hour? And then whatever you know, what am I not doing? I'm not, no social media, no texting. I'm not eating. I'm not snacking. I'm not answering the phone. I'm not getting on email. Like what, I'm not being a perfectionist. You get to set the boundaries around what's not coming with you. We describe it as each work session, you're getting in a canoe. What are you going to leave behind on the banks of the shore so that you can actually get flow downstream? You have, there's thing we always have to let go of a whole bunch of things so that we can surrender our focus over to what we're working on. It's an illusion that this multitasking way of working is, it's just completely not conducive to the depth of thinking and work that we need to. And a lot of times we keep ourselves multitasking because we're fearful that if we really do drop down, that we won't have the intellectual ability to figure it out. And so multitasking keeps us from really facing that fear, which it does need to be faced. And we do need to. We need to get into the arena with it and, and get to work, you know? So once you know what you are doing for the week and everything else is on the back burner during the week, when you notice yourself getting pulled towards that stuff, that's that, wait a minute, that's on the back burner. Now, am I consciously choosing to move it to the front burner? Or am I actually procrastinating <laughs> on what I really need to be doing? Then you move into conscious planning. That's the third step. Conscious planning is about planning the day-to-day, -day, really thinking through what, what happens Monday morning? What kind of transition time do I need after I teach, before I sit down to work? When am I eating, right? Who's do, like, is my kid being picked up in carpool that day? Does, how does that affect when I can start? Our, our, our co-working members, they plan what writing retreats am I going to and what work am I going to do inside those writing retreats? So you're, you're connecting what you aspire to do with time. And we encourage people in the beginning to under plan. Plan. Whatever you think you can do, divide it by whatever half or whatever you think. But usually we are like, when we are planning, we're like a really hungry person at a buffet. We put way too much on our plate. <clears throat> I want people to start to really be honest with themselves and look back at their plans and see, am I ever actually doing what I'm saying I'm going to do? Then don't make, make plans that you can really honor because that's how you feel satisfied. I crossed out the things that I said I was going to do. You want your plan to be really specific, clear goals with a beginning and end to the best of your ability. Don't write down, you know, read three articles. That doesn't mean anything. What articles are you reading? You know, are you going to read half of an article because it's really complicated? Don't try to read three really hard articles in a row. Like be thoughtful. When am I doing what? And when you get into a rhythm of planning every single week in this way, one of the things that you can do is do kind of a pre-step to the mind sweep, which is a little bit of a review of how did that go last week? What worked? What didn't work? 
And I want to be informed when I go through my four steps now. I want to have learned from that. Once you have that conscious, humane plan that gives you that flow, and if you can't plan for a full seven days, sometimes all you can do is plan the next 24 hours. That's fine. You, but you want to make sure that you end your day with a plan for the next day. Then the fourth step after you've got your conscious plan is environmental alignment. An environmental alignment is about optimizing your environment for high performance, for focus, for concentration. Many of us have environments that are optimized for distraction. So looking at your environment or environments that you work in, are they working for you? Are there post-it notes everywhere? Are, are there sounds in the room? Is the chair uncomfortable? Um, is, you know, can you find files easily on your computer? Are there like 16 versions of your dissertation? And every time you go to work on it, you're like, wait, which one is it? You know, um, is your desktop full of documents that you need and it's always hard to find them? Make sure your electronic environment makes it easier for you to get into the work. Your physical paper environment, can you get your hands on the files you need easily? Is it messy? Is it peaceful? Is it, is, does it something about the environment does it stress out, stress you out, or does it soothe and calm down your nervous system? So is my environment aligned with the results I want to produce? So Rowena and I are both very dedicated to exercise and we actually do the same exercise. We, we do, we, we follow someone and we do the same exercise. And one of the things that I do is at night, I lay out the mat, the weights, water, I figure out what I'm gonna to wear to work out. I pick out my clothes for what I'm wearing after I shower. I hang the towels. I do this every single day. So that in the morning, my environment is pre-populated. It's almost as if I've already started the behavior a little bit. So, and we don't need to do this in every area of your life, but in any area of your life where you notice you put things on your plan, like green smoothie, lemon water, you know, the things we, those things we want to be doing every day, but that we don't do. If they're on your plan and you're not doing them, it means that you, that you don't, that motivation, whatever motivation you have to do it is insufficient for the behavior to occur. And that you actually are needing more environmental alignment. The environment is way more powerful than we realize. And so there's two ways just to conclude this idea of the four steps, two ways to engage in environmental alignment. One of them is optimizing for like performance, for like kick butt performance and taking time to align your environment. Even if you have to take a week to completely clean out your office, do it. Incredibly kind to yourself, to your future self. Number two is to optimize our environment for dropping out of work mode. Optimize our environment. Maybe we have a little sacred corner where we have objects that are meaningful to us or a meditation cushion, or it's a place we listen to music or we read, a, you know, we read, we read or whatever, drink our tea, sit under a blanket, light candles, have a little cubby, <laughs> something where you've optimized something in your environment that calls to you. Let's rest. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's be on our own team. Let's nourish and hydrate ourselves so that we can kind of get back on the field and perform. And with, without an environment that reminds us to do that, we often will not. And then one last thing I'll say is every 24 hours, if you're planning on working the next day, it can be helpful to do a little 
a little mini reset. Do like a quick new uh, mind sweep. Like does, has new stuff come up you wanna put on the mind sweep? Do you need to shift your priorities a little bit for tomorrow? Do you, does your plan need some kind of adjustment? Make that and then go, okay, for tomorrow. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm working on this section. I wanna, I wanna do edits and I wanna incorporate these two articles. I'm gonna print that section put those two articles in a folder. If I'm going to go do that in a coffee shop, I'm going to put that in my bag. I just aligned my environment. What a right. So kind to the future. And when, by the way, when you're working, when you're working and you're working, you know, and things come up in your mind, someone in our coworking community distinguished something that I really loved. She said, I'm learning to understand the difference between an emergent task and an emergency task. That's deep. Because oftentimes we treat things as emergencies that are really just actually like a to-do to catalog somewhere. We describe it as kind of having a, a daily parking lot where you park things that come up in your consciousness, but you're not going to do them right now. But you, you'll be easier for you to refocus your attention on what you're doing if you documented it so you feel like you could let it go. Awesome. So... There was a lot here and I, I'm just thinking about my, my basic to-do list, right? Like on Sundays, I think I'm doing a great thing where I write all the things down that I need to do, but I'm like, you know, when Friday or Saturday comes and those things haven't, you know, been accomplished, I'm like, there's so many other things that could have been involved in that process, right? So it's not just making a list, right? But it's clearing our minds out. It's looking at the next seven days and prioritizing what we need to do. It's consciously planning on a smaller scale on that day-to-day -day level. And then making sure that our physical space aligns with what we want to accomplish intellectually or what we've planned out for ourselves in that way. So this is super helpful. I will never have the same to-do list ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it feels manageable too. the fact that you said this is something that can be done on a daily basis versus something that we can do on a weekly basis. I like that. And I also like the fact that it's not just for academic work, right? It can be applied to any um, other aspect of our lives. And as you were talking, I was thinking about the, the eight dimensions of wellness, right? Like financial, emotional, spiritual, familial, like this could apply to all of those. Or you could consider those eight dimensions when you're doing your mind sweep, right? And kind of like organize things that way. So this is a really helpful tool um, for, for myself and hopefully for people uh, who are listening. Um, so I kind of want to, so I, so I said this is helpful for myself, but I know that, you know, and, and a lot of times we talk about self-care and it's very individualistic, but I think that something that allows us to sustain ourselves is community. And you've mentioned the academic writer space. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that and how we can sustain ourselves, not only as individuals, but also in the collective. Mm, that's a great, great question. Number one, it also has facilitated a lot. So you, I would be happy for you to chime in as well. Um, the academic writer space is a co-working community. It was invented during COVID. I mean, it was birthed because of COVID. It was like, it's like an accidental business where when the pandemic began, we have clients all over the world. And of course, everyone was home. So on March 19th, 2020, we did our first writing retreat. And the idea was, let's just do five two-hour writing retreats a week where we co-work, where there's two 45-minute periods where you're there to work. And then the coach facilitates this container of a 10 minute opening, a 10 minute midpoint check-in and a 10 minute close. And anyway, it, it, it gave way to a business where we actually created a membership community where we offer 21 writing retreats a week and, we, and then two planning sessions a week. 
where we get together and we actually co-work together. And, you know, in many ways, what I think that the academic writer space is fundamentally doing is helping people learn how to work in a way that really works for them. Even though I just prescribed this whole four-step process, you can take that and map that on in a way that really works for you as an individual. It's not like um, some prescription that must be followed to the letter. I actually believe everybody inside of them, not just in their minds, but really in their bodies, have everyone has enormous wisdom about how to lead and guide and support themselves to work one moment to the next in a way that truly works for them. Well, we, we just need a, we need a context to learn to tap into that. And so we talk in our community about we are learning how to work in a way that's self-honoring. So a lot of times I'll think to myself, is the way that I'm working, do my organs like that? Do the tissues in my body, right? Does my spine like this? Not just my psyche, right? How is this for my body to carry me through the way that I'm rushing around all the time and hustling. Actually, when I listen to my body, my body's like, hey, you don't have time to rush. Let's slow it down. And so when that voice starts to come online inside yourself, you become able to guide and lead yourself. You become powerful because now your body's guiding you. So the idea is, is this self-honoring? That's a question that we're asking of the whole system. It's not just something we're thinking about. We're like, hmm, let me see. Does that feel self-honoring? It may, but it may not. And if it's not self-honoring, it's probably telling you to work in a different work in a different way. So I'll give you an example of that. When I'm feeling super rushed and stressed and I notice I'm multitasking and I'm just not working effectively, I can, my body's telling me this isn't working. And so then I'll go, okay, well, what would work better? And what the answer often is for me is what we do in our community, mono micro task. So this is an example. So as a community, what we're doing is we're working together where we figure out things like when in doubt, make a list of micro tasks, turn on computer, <laughs> open the draft, read a sentence, you can get that micro. And then we practice surrendering our focus over to one task at a time. And when you get to do this in community, you get to see a few things. One is that your internal private experience of doing a dissertation is the same. You know, we, we're so incredibly similar. And a lot of times we feel like something's wrong with us when actually we're just having a completely normal everyday experience of all the uncomfortable things you have to feel and the challenges on the doctoral journey. Also, it's a community of kindness. So if you could, if you know, if you want you people, could, listeners could do this on their own, you know, find their group of people that they co-work with, where there's a culture of being kind. And what many people say is, wow, I've learned that other people's pain is worthy of my care. So isn't mine too, you know? Um, and there's also just the feeling of accountability of everyone's here to work. You're working, so you know what? All right, since you're all working, I'll work too. And we, we encourage people before they go off to work to declare in the chat what they're going to do. So there's this feeling of like, I put this out here. I'm accountable to this, you know? And, um, and if it doesn't go well, you know that you can share about that and that there'll be support to help illuminate what might be going on in a really gentle way to create an opening for new behaviors, new ways 
of engaging with the process. And in, in many ways, the last thing I'll say about it is I really think it's kind of a co-regulation community. We're designed to co-regulate. We need each other's nervous systems. We need to borrow each other's nervous systems a lot of the time. And when you do a dissertation, for the most part, you're pretty much alone. <laughs> so there's not a lot of co-regulation going on. And if you're dysregulated, then you only can rely on yourself. But there's lots of things we can learn to do to regulate ourselves. But boy, is it nice when you can borrow other people's nervous systems and co-regulate. Uh, that sounds super exciting. I know it's been really helpful for me to have a dissertation writing group throughout um, the pandemic, and we're still meeting, even though people are now checking in from their offices. It's just nice to see um, those same faces over time. Rowena, do you have anything to add before we go to the lightning round? No, I think, you know, um, you know, Allison and I have have done workshops that lasted hours and hours. So I'm just kind of biting my, <laughs> biting my time here and just really honing in on what I really want to share. So we can go to the lightning round. Um, Allison has covered a lot and yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, totally. This is, I feel like this could go on and on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so for the sake of the lightning round, this um, is ideally um, supposed to be the first thing that comes to your mind, we break it down in three, two, one, and just say the first thing that, that comes to you. So the first question is, what are three words to describe wellness in graduate school? Um, I would say self-compassion, uh, strength, being strong, and focus. Those are very important. Um, question number two, what are two invaluable resources that have helped you in your wellness journey? Hmm. One has been walking, just getting out and walking whenever possible, even if it's for 10 minutes, just get out, walk. Remember there's a world outside of my little world, you know, Notice, notice the sky, notice nature, notice like use my senses. So walking, I mean, really committed exercise in some ways, but that's one form of it. Um, and the other thing is just the, the ongoing atten attention to connecting with heart, my heart. Very simple. I was gonna show this earlier, actually. Can't really show it to anybody, but I'll just describe it. So I'm gonna take my fingers and kind of like hold my hand out straight and then curve my fingers around and then just put it over my heart. Or you can do just your whole hand over the heart, two hands over the heart, one hand over the heart, one hand over the belly. But I actually will do things to draw my energy and attention down out of just being in the head, down into the heart of like, hey, how are you doing? How are you? What's going on? Checking in. Because then I can see what version of me is present. And do I have some nervous system dysregulation that's pushing me into stories about negative things that aren't actually happening? Or do I want to care for the dysregulation that's there? And so I find the pathway is to check into the heart because I can always feel the dysregulation in my chest cavity. Hmm. Checking in with your body, these embodied practices to help us check in with the rest of ourselves. I like that. Um, and then lastly, there is a lot of advice that's been offered, um, but I would like to ask for one additional piece of advice, um, particularly for listeners who are struggling with productivity, going through dissertation writing, thesis writing, or just a long-term paper. What advice would you offer to them? I would really 
offer that doctoral students look at their doctoral journey classes, working with faculty and peers, and then the, dissert, the dissertating, that all of that is part of your professional journey, right? You're, you're really not a student in, in that sense, even though you're told you're a student, you're a graduate student, you're a doctoral student, you're really at that point a professional, right? And I think just owning that and um, yeah, just really owning that sets you up so that you are looking at your tasks and your relationships as I am moving forward. And these are my colleagues. And this is my next step to being promoted, right? It, it is very similar. And I think because the dissertation process is so odd, right? <laughs> it's such an odd, solitary process um, that to know that you are moving forward, that there, even though there seems like there's no structure, but there is because you're moving towards your career. You're really in the beginnings of your career. I think that's important. That sounds like something that I have recently heard myself, right? Think of yourself as a colleague and, and that this is part of something, something bigger that, that you're doing. Um, so this is from beginning to end been really helpful for me. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm sure for everyone else who is trying to think about how to be productive during this long bridge or series of bridges as they pursue their degree. Um, so my last question is if people want to learn more about the dissertation coach and the services you all provide, um, and also about the academic writer space, where can they find more information? Well, they can go to the dissertationcoach.com. And if you know, if, if people are interested, they fill out the contact form and I will personally, usually, usually it's me, will reach out to you. And um, we have a really good process. And the academic writer's space, you just go to the website and anybody can sign up for a free week. You don't have to put down a credit card. You can just come and um, experience it firsthand yourself. Um, there's And there's 21 writing retreats and two planning sessions a week. Oh, that's great. I'm sure grad students would love that <laughs> entry. Can we access the schedule, Allison? Yeah, you can see the schedule on the website. You can change it to your time zone. There's a time zone converter. And there's also a video on the website that shows you what it looks like inside. Yeah, um, yeah this has been quite the technological- the Time zone converter. <laughs> time zone converter. Oh yeah. Well, it's been, a, it's, I had to push really, we, we sort of had to push a company to, to, there wasn't technology that would support a business like this. And because of COVID, we were able to get a company to- change their software for us. <laughs> oh, wow. So, okay, in that case, do take advantage of this groundbreaking uh, technology and also the, the, the communal writing space and the other opportunities that are afforded by the dissertation coach. Um, of course, the Instagram page that I follow and interact with um, all the time. So <laughs> on that note, I want to say thank you all for being here on the Grad Girl Wellness Podcast. And um, I look forward to speaking with you on other occasions and seeing you online. It's been a pleasure, Angela. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's all I have for you on this episode. I hope that you heard something that inspires you along your wellness journey. And if so, share it with a friend. Until next time, take care.